Hello, everyone. In this podcast, we will be discussing sensitive topics such as sexual assault. It's important to take care of yourself while listening. Some suggestions are listening while you're in a healthy headspace or knowing who you can reach out to if you become upset. Our 24-7 helpline for crisis calls based out of Central Florida is 407-500-HEAL. By contacting the national hotline at 1-800-656-4673, you can get support and learn about your local resources. There's always someone ready to help. Welcome to the Victim Service Center podcast. Here we sit down with professionals that serve survivors and victims of trauma or those who've experienced violence and have conversations about social issues. This week, we are talking about the art of vulnerability and genuine connection. My name is Emily Mitchell. My pronouns are she, her, and I'm the education coordinator at the Victim Service Center of Central Florida. With me today, I have Paula Lupton. Paula uses she, her pronouns and is the head of clinical operations at Positive Behavioral Solutions. She has been in the field of social work for over 19 years in the Central Florida area and is specialized in working with trauma-informed systems, LGBTQ plus clients and their rights, child welfare, working with individuals in crisis and building strong communities. As a native of Orlando, Uh, Her focus has been on strengthening the community through education and increasing awareness of mental health, as well as sharing her passion for working with expressive arts as a medium for healing. Paula is currently a fellowship student at Crealdi Art School with a focus on abstract art and facilitating the creative conscious group bi-monthly here at PBS. Her favorite self-care activities are reading, traveling, painting, and crafting. So Paula, thank you so much for being here on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. And I also have joining us Juanita Carbajal. Juanita uses she, her, Ella pronouns and is the marketing and community relations director at Positive Behavioral Solutions. She has over eight years experience working in the mental health community and is passionate about educating communities and reducing the stigma affiliated with mental health. Juanita is currently a graduate student in the Masters of Public Health program at the University of Florida, and also teaches beginners yoga at Altamont Springs Yoga Studio. Her favorite self-care activities are running, traveling, Disney, and yoga. So Juanita, thank you as well for coming onto the podcast. Yes, thank you for having me. I'm really excited to have this really interesting discussion with you both as a very brief introduction. um, As you all know, we're joined by two amazing mental health professionals from Positive Behavioral Solutions to talk about the power of vulnerability and genuine connection as it relates to healing 
how trauma may have an effect on these two concepts and ways we can foster resilience and cope together. So with that, to start off, could both of you talk a little bit about yourselves and the work that you do? Okay. Well, so I've been in the field for a long time. I actually started off working as a victim advocate while I was in school. And I ended up, for me, I ended up working primarily in inpatient units. So detox and during COVID, I actually was working on an inpatient psychiatric unit here in Central Florida when COVID outbreak and for the first year, a duration of COVID. So when we talk about this topic, this is what propelled me forward for my own healing to go to the fellowship and to use art because we were using it on the units. We had you know, a art therapist there, we are trying to bring in writing prompts and painting, art journaling. And I started stumbling in to some of these other mediums as a bit of healing. Um, but most of my background, I have always worked with people who are in crisis. They're deregulated. They've been triggered. Their trauma responses just completely shut them down or their amygdala is overfiring and They become so overwhelmed that they end up in a crisis unit. So that's part of the passion that I've always had working with them. And, you know, art and journaling is just so important just for our own process. And I was always interested, uh, Charles Darwin, big scientist, you know, he did all of this great work, the foundation, you know, we have Darwinism near the end of his life, he said a quote that was something like, if I had my life to live over again, I would spend more time with a focus on art and poetry. And I always found that so impactful that, you know, even our scientific and logical brains can still pursue that beauty and love. Wow. Thank you so much for that. And for all the work that you have done as an advocate and as a mental health professional, especially during such an important time, I think, uh, working with those in crises. Um, And I love hearing about your passion with the arts. We have a art of healing group actually here at the BSC where um, we're starting it back up where we uh, have survivors come in and express themselves through art. So definitely see that connection there. So thank you. And Juanita, I was hoping that you could talk a little bit about your yourself and your journey. Um, yeah, thank you. So my experience is more working in community mental health. I've been working um, with PBS for over seven years and other agencies as well. Um, My focus has been working more with Latinx communities and um, the BPOC populations as well. So being vulnerable as a Latinx person is hard. Like we are not comfortable being vulnerable. That's something that like we just don't talk about what's going on with our feelings, what's going on with our health. It's something we usually suppress. So my passion grew as I learned that like, you know, there is a need you know, for our population to seek out mental health services because it also affects us. Um, But as well, educating populations here in Central Florida of the resources that are available and that we are not alone facing these challenges. Um, And since the pandemic, like I was able to build further partnerships with, you know, um, local nonprofit organizations, um, like starting the grief group, Um, starting Hablemos Mas with peer support space, 
and just connecting communities and topics that require us to further connect and, you know, build that space of where we can feel comfortable being vulnerable. So that's kind of my niche. Um, I also do yoga. I share a space of, you know, embodying everyone to, you know, be comfortable with their body and practice something new out of our comforts. Usually sometimes people are a little intimidated with yoga, thinking that you have to be very flexible, you have to be athletic, and that's not necessarily the case. It's more of, you know, being attuned with your body and how you're feeling as well. Absolutely. Thank you so much. And I'm so glad that you brought up vulnerability as it pertains to the Latinx community. I I hope that we dive a little bit more into that too with today's topic. And I always love peer support space. So shout out to peer support space. And while you're talking about yoga, I was thinking that does also come with some vulnerability too, which is what we're talking about today. And I know that, you know, when we were Uh, meaning to talk about like, oh, what are some possible topics that we want to cover on a podcast? Because we both wanted to have you all on. Um, I wanted to hear a little bit about your inspiration for today's topic on vulnerability and genuine connection. Okay. Well, one, you have an artist and a yoga teacher by passion in front of you. So these conversations are actually things that her and I have on a regular basis in the office and practice because there is so much vulnerability in that. You know, even in art, you're leaving your emotions, part of yourself on the page. So these conversations, you know, we talk about that, how we can do with our clients, what groups we and support groups we can have and what our need is for the community. And one of the things that her and I were doing is kind of talking to the people in the office, people in my, that I go to school with, you know, people that I paint with, what is vulnerability? What is connectivity? And then, you know, not just for mental health, what do people who aren't in this field thinking of it? And yeah. And also like, we wanted to make awareness that just because you are in the mental health field, doesn't mean that we suppress our own emotions. So like building connection, you know, with our own vulnerabilities, sharing that stance and, you know, practicing that as well, um, how to be vulnerable with different communities, you know, sharing enough, but also sharing in a sense where you can connect and um, build relationships with one another. Absolutely. And also it's definitely out of our comfort zones. Um, (sighs) Paula was like, you picked the hardest topic. And I was like, yeah, but it's a topic that we both will grow from because, you know, being vulnerable is something that like we aren't taught in school. We aren't like sometimes our family doesn't teach us that. They usually are like, oh, like, why are you feeling too much? Go in your room or, you know, I don't have time for that or, you know, go journal, do something. And, you know, talking about your feelings, talking about things that are going on in your life, like not a lot of people respond well. And, you know, we're also kind of raised, like I was raised with that, you know, pull yourself up by the bootstraps, put on your game face, you know, with that way that it doesn't matter what you're feeling, you need to suck up and go forward. So, you know, when I said this was a hard topic, you know, this is something that even in the mental health field, even us with our own passions, there is still that feeling when you hear the word vulnerability. And that's kind of where we wanted to start with was, you know, 
kind of just the way her and I look at things with vulnerability. Uh, we look at vulnerability and authenticity and we kind of marry those. We have to be authentic with our vulnerable. I can't, I don't want to walk in and be like, yes, I'm vulnerable here. Let me tell you all this. And it be more of this scripted or this narcissistic view. You know, the most important thing we have to start with is who we are authentically. So that is one of the biggest things that we started with. But also when we talk about vulnerability and connections, you know, we have to have some amount of vulnerability in order to have or share any kind of connections, even if they're just casual conversation, elevator talks. We have to have a bit of vulnerability so we share those moments together so that we can be present with them. But in order for us to build connections, in order for us to heal, you know, when you've been wounded, when you're recovering, when you want to rebuild those bridges, we have to know that healing is something that we do by having those vulnerable moments. So we have to let our guard down and know that we've found a way to go back to that safety. We have to grow from a place of safety and boundaries because we can't just live in a bubble. Healing means that we have to rebuild those neural pathways. And what the pandemic kind of did is just put everyone in a big bubble and then isolate them in their own bubble. And we've lost a lot of that genuine connectivity, those social skills, you know, those coping skills that work in everyday life. You talk about people who are used to going to trauma support groups, maybe NA groups, NA groups. They go to the gym six days a week. You know, something simple for a mom that they would have that hour alone to go grocery shopping. That was taken away from us. That bit of self-care, that bit of connectivity, you know, that bit of ourselves. And that's how this pandemic kind of also impacted our trauma brains, our vulnerability and our authenticity and our just general way we view the world. It also shifted the way that we connect. Um, I think we look at the things that were taken away from us, but it also brought in a different sense of, you know, now there's an opportunity to connect virtually, whereas, you know, that wasn't an option before. So connecting virtually sometimes is like, you know, a little bit more difficult challenging for some populations, but for some it's like, it works. So now we're finding like that healthy balance of like, Hey, it works for some people, but some people still need that one-on-one interaction face-to-face. And we're adjusting to that. We're adjusting to, you know, seeing all these new events pop up and you're like, wow, there, we went from having zero events to now you see events like almost every other day, you're just like, am I ready for this? Am I ready to reintegrate myself with the community? And like, what do I say? How do I connect? So you're going through your own inner dialogue of being like, is this, is this the new normal? Is this okay? Because I've been isolated for so long that being social is different now. That's such a good point, Juanita, because yeah, that's what I'm feeling too. And what I'm hearing is it seems like everything was kind of on pause and now everything's happening at once. And 
it's just been an overwhelming time in a variety of different ways. And I appreciate you all kind of highlighting these really specific examples of how COVID has affected people's coping, has affected people's connectivity. And we, we've been talking about these different terms, and I think it might be helpful to just kind of define them. So how would you actually define genuine connection um, as it either relates to the mental health field or just in general? What does it mean to actually have an authentic or genuine connection? I would say having a genuine connection is being able to express your authentic self without masking behind titles, without masking behind what you think people expect from you, and just being able to just say, hey, I'm human, you're human, we we have this shared um, experience um, that we've all faced, we all, you know, experience a level of grief, we all also experience a level of readjusting to what the world expects from us, whether it's wearing masks, whether it's staying six feet apart from people, or whether it's completely isolating yourself from your support system. So, you know, building that genuine connection is, you know, how did you reinvent yourself throughout this process? Also, like a lot of us definitely change. Like, I mean, we joke about like, oh, the pandemic changes, but like, how did it change you? Yeah. And for me, also being on the different side, um, I have a completely different view of the pandemic because I was a frontline worker through the whole time. So for me, I was still going out in the world. I was still driving where there was no one every day. I was doing long days on a, with people who are dysregulated in crisis. So my connectivity was so different from you know my family, my my PBS family when we talk about it because I was very isolated, surrounded by people. So there was not that general connect. There was no connectivity because the only thing we had is you know the few of us that were there, the staff. We kind of connected as best as we could, but the point was is we were there to help other people stabilized to get back on their grounding. So our purpose was kind of out there swimming with other people in crisis. So then you come home and you looked on social media. For me, looking on social media where everyone was like, oh, I'm so alone. And I'm thinking what I would give for a day alone. <laughs> um, but yeah, that first frontline workers mindset Absolutely. I think that we're kind of showing how everyone, everyone's experience was different during this time. And um, being able to be authentic seems to have maybe been difficult um, as people who were really just trying to survive their day to day. Um, and you were talking, Juanita, earlier that in order to have this genuine connection, we kind of have to be in this safe space. Well, it sounds like that wasn't really happening. You know, um, there wasn't really the safe space where we could actually connect with each other. I wanted to ask what genuine connection, um, has in relation to the process of healing. So why is it so powerful and why is it important for healing and growth? Well, when you start studying different trauma models, when you listen to some of the experts on trauma and recovery. One of the most important things to build resiliency and recovery 
is actually even if we have one strong connection. So connectivity, when we talk about healing, is important. We are not meant to be islands all by ourselves. It's kind of like it might be other people that have caused harm to us or hurt us, but you know, without us having other people, we can't grow. So it's kind of this double-edged sword, you know, when we're talking about connection. You know, when you talk about people who've been through trauma or especially children who've been through neglect, they see the world differently. You know, trauma changes us full stop. There is no going back to life before trauma. You know, there's a lot of grief that is associated with it. You know, one of the things that I've seen when we talk about healing is some of the biggest problems that we have is the image that we have in our head of what we should be. And how we can really come to terms with, okay, here's where we diverged. This might've been the path I was on. Here's my path now. How do I walk it with authenticity? How do I walk it with recovery? And, you know, talking about that healing journey, who we choose to walk with us. And I think those are the important things, you know, yeah. And I also like to add that, like sometimes connecting within your own interests, like that builds community. Like um, we've noticed that we can't do this alone, even, you know, working with other organizations, like you check in with everyone. You're like, are you guys also struggling? Because we are to an extent, you know, it's, we're not in it alone. Sometimes it feels like we are, but you know, having that connection with other people, with other people that share common interests, like is very important because you realize what you're experiencing is very similar to what they're experiencing. So if you like, you know, congregate together, you can come up with a plan that, you know, is unique to yourself, but also something that they were able to help you determine. And I think it also helps normalize things. I know it sounds weird to say normalize, but you know, that vulnerability, that sharing, are you struggling too? I'm struggling. It helps normalize. It brings us back to that feeling that we might be isolated physically, but we are not alone. Other people are going through it. And that also helps with connectivity. You know, if we're having a bad day, you know, a lot of things that I had were text strings with friends that I hadn't talked to in a while, a group chats, you know, shared things like yoga. That's what propelled me to art. Um, TV fandoms, you know, movie fandoms, how we decide to move forward and meet those connections, you know, helps us normalize our, our struggle. Yeah. I'm, while you're both speaking, I'm thinking of all of our survivors that we work with and you brought up um, Paula, you know, what we should be a lot of survivors. I feel like may have these feelings of I'm not responding to trauma correctly, or I I'm supposed to be a survivor, but I feel like a victim or, you know, all these different pressures that society puts on to us, which you brought up earlier, Juanita, as far as like the kind of um, the, I, I guess when I think of genuine and authenticity, I think of the, the other side of the coin is um, the societal pressures that they kind of have us put a mask on. And I'm thinking of, yeah, throughout this, you know, having this genuine connectivity when we're thinking like, okay, I need, I have certain things I need to do. I need to go to my job. I need to, you know, show up for my clients. I need to do these things. 
Um, but I'm struggling, but it doesn't seem like everyone else is. So you kind of like swallow that and keep the mask on, but then through genuine connection, you're starting to kind of become more of that human, you know, we're human beings instead of that, that human doing kind of aspect that society is kind of putting on us as far as like, you know, you have to produce things and all the, all that stuff. And then I was thinking also, to our support groups and how support groups kind of foster this genuine connection. We are talking a lot about, you know, you're not alone. Well, that's what we say a lot to survivors of sexual violence in general, um, because there are these feelings of shame and, and, you know, isolation and all those different things and how I'm starting to see like through this conversation, how powerful genuine connection can be. And um, going back to the topic today, um, I wanted to kind of circle back to vulnerability and how that has to do with genuine connection. So um, how would you define vulnerability? So we talked a lot about this and as Juanita said, and you said, when we talked and we were kind of brainstorming, you said vulnerability. I'm like, oh, Paula's like, you picked the hardest topic. I hate being vulnerable. And I was like, you think you hate it talk to Hispanic women, we don't talk about our feelings. We just, you know, suppress it or pretend they're not there. Yeah. And, and being in the, and being a social worker, you know, one of the most important things is we go in, it's not about us. Yeah. You know, our feelings, we shut them down at the door. You know, we were supposed to pull them away. You know, I grew up in central Florida and I grew up in, you know, um, a poverty stricken area where we don't talk about it. You know, everything is just very here because we have to put our game face on, or, you know, we have our shame shield or, or our armor on and that vulnerability is chinks in the armor. And it, what it really takes when we're looking at vulnerability, vulnerability is how we take and make a positive change environment where it's okay to be open. Vulnerability can be something simple as, I walk into the office and maybe I'm not having a great day where I can say, hey, guys, you know, I feel, I'm feeling a little more sad today or a little off. You know, please let me know what I can do for you. But if I'm a little quiet, that can be a vulnerability of just saying, hey, I know I'm a little off today. It's not that pox, toxic positivity that we have where we have to be happy all the time. You know, go team, rah, rah. You know, one of the things that I know that Juanita and I talked about originally, we are very vivacious, we're, we're very expressive, but we're also very authentic. You know, if you walk in and we're like, okay, everyone, we need to woo-hoo, and both of us are going to go, woo-woo-hoo? What, what are we woo-hooing about? Um, you know, we need <laughs> to have yeah. that passion. And I think vulnerability is that ability for us to have connections, to talk about our feelings, yeah. like she said. Um, to and express our opinions and ideas in a safe way. Yeah. And then just shifting from thinking that being vulnerable is a weakness, like it's actually, you know, a strength that we, um, you know, you're able to express what's really going on versus suppressing it. And you're able to, you know, be real with yourself, not just um, hide between what society expects from you, but just be like, it's just, been a hard day you know there's nothing there's nothing that is um there's nothing that you can do say that's just going to change the situation but me admitting admitting to what's going on and facing the facts 
is going to help me grow and it's going to help me, you know, learn from this. And when we talk about healing, um, I want everyone to know, I'm not saying, okay, drop your armor, be vulnerable and go out in the world. <laughs> right. Um, vulnerability comes, well, one is practice. I mean, we have to practice. It's kind of like those baby steps. You know, you slowly start to peel your armor, but it's also, we're building a different type of protection. We might be taking our armor away, but we're changing things with learning boundaries. A lot of times you might've grown up in a family where, you know, we are told that we just have to do this no matter what. We have to accept this behavior. We have to accept this, or that we might've been raised in a way where we're told that this is the way it is. And you're, you might come from families or relationships or neighborhoods that are toxic and that we have to take it. So a big part of vulnerability is also understanding and, and protecting your boundaries. Mm -hmm. It is okay. You know, I say we've got to protect our yes, which means I've been, people ask me things all the time and I have this such a negative reaction to the word. No, you know, all of a sudden I become like a two-year-old you say no. And I'm like, (laughs) um, but how we change our perspective that I'm protecting my yes, which means, you know, when people come to talk to you, they want something or, you know, they want to, when people come at you in different ways, how do you protect your boundaries? How do you stand up for yourself and how do you do it in an authentic way? That's not passing on more negativity. You know, when I work with people on their healing journey, I talk a lot about how we must change our perspective but how we also have to change our language because a lot of times, especially being women, we weren't raised with assertive language. Like, yeah, people, yeah. yeah, people who talk to me are always like, Paula's very, I, I get told, Paula, you can be very aggressive. I'm like, no, I'm assertive mm-hmm. because it surprises people when they say something and I say, um, I'm sorry, I don't have the ability at this moment to do it. And, or I say that assertive, like, and I assertively protect my boundaries. People kind of double take. And I know Juanita's seen that too. And I know she's experienced when we have that assertive language, when we protect our boundaries, you know, sometimes people want to shame people for that because. Yeah, absolutely. Um, when we do our healthy relationships training, we talk about boundaries a lot. And I love that you said that we're protecting our yes, because I like to frame boundaries because there is a lot of um, societal pressures to not have them, especially it sounds like depending on different identities that you have as well, maybe society doesn't expect you to have boundaries and we're not really taught on how to set them up as well. But I always like to say that boundaries are ways to communicate. This is how to treat me. This is how to love me all those different things. And I think, you know, I never thought of boundaries as it relates to vulnerability, but it makes a lot of sense where it's kind of relating back to like that genuineness. And in order to be genuine, we have to be to some level vulnerable as well. And I love that what you said, Juanita, as far as like, it's really a strength. I think that you know, when I think of the word vulnerable, I do think of the word weakness, right? I think of, you know, chinks in the armor, like you were mentioning. Um, but really it is fragile. Like you're so fragile, like something like this person needs help. This person needs, you know, someone to come save them Mm -hmm. when really it's just like, no, we're at, uh, we're living through, or we're experiencing something 
that we want to share with you because we're going to grow and evolve through this experience. And then being vulnerable, like it also gives you an opportunity to express like, well, how do like, how do I want to be supported? You know, sometimes like us in this field, like we feel like people come to us because they want to be rescued, but sometimes they just want to be guided. They want it. They want to be pointed into a direction where they can grow and learn versus, you know, you know, holding people, you know, just holding us more accountable and like, okay, what can we do about what we're going through versus what can I do for you? Yeah. It sounds like vulnerability is really this courage to be yourself and courage mm-hmm. to um, talk about the emotions that a lot of times we may not even realize we're experiencing because we're kind of like head down toxic positivity, which we're going to circle back to. But uh, Juanita, I wanted to ask you specifically, you brought up a couple of times vulnerability as it relates to the Latinx community. Can you tell me a little bit more about like this term is, is how it is within this culture? Uh, yes. The Latinx community definitely has a hard time being vulnerable. Um, I can speak from my own experience. Like I was never allowed to be vulnerable. Like you just suppress your feelings. You don't talk about it. Um, You're supposed to be grateful about everything that you experience, good, bad, whatever it is, like you deal with it. um, And yeah, you don't talk about it. You don't go to a professional to talk about your feelings. You go to family and then your family shuts you down about those feelings as well. So, you know, when you're going to your initial support system and they're shutting you down for what you're feeling, you don't learn how to be vulnerable. You don't know that you can be vulnerable. Mm -hmm. So it's, it puts you in a situation where, you know, then you're like, well, where do I find connection? Where do I find healing? Um, and I feel like when I talk to um, other, you know, Latinx people, especially from Hablemos Mas, like we talk about how, you know, we talk so much about other topics um, mm-hmm. like music, food. We talk about, you know, relationships. But when it comes to talking about ourselves, talking about, you know, like the challenges we're facing, it's really difficult for us to do that. So when we created this group, we're like, well, this is a space where you can't talk about that. We have to practice talking about, you know, things that we're going through, things that are affecting our mental health. Um, And yeah, just being okay, not being okay is like something unheard of. So it's like, what, you're okay not being okay? Like, what are you doing about that? Like, you need to find a solution now. Like, yeah, so. Well, and you know, that brings a point. There's no end date for trauma, yeah. which means, oh, okay, this happened to you. You have six months. There, there <laughs> is no, there trauma, you know, changes us and we all have to be on our own journey. And, you know, just to go off of what you said, we all have to refind our voice or find our voice for our first time. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of times, And from what I know, talking with Juanita and what you said, we have to figure out how to stand up for ourselves, how to talk, how to let people know, again, how we should be treated or that we can love somebody, but understand that they are not the person that we need to be around because they don't respect our boundaries. They don't let us have a voice because when we don't have a voice, when we can't speak, you know, 
it just kind of builds inside of us like ah, a hollow pit because yeah. now we have no way to let it out. We have no way to heal. We have no way to recover. Yeah, I really appreciate that. Thank you um, for sharing more about the Latinx community too, specifically with that. Um, I was hearing while you were talking to uh, Juanita about um, kind of like being shut down um, with, you know, expressing your emotions. It kind of comes with this shame of emotions in general, but then it kind of becomes a shame of being your authentic self. And so you're like, well, I always have to like, you know, bucker up buttercup kind of situation, which is, you know, toxic positivity. But I wanted to ask a little bit about, um, and, and we talked about like the concept of safe spaces and how that can relate to it. And, um, but before we get to that, I wanted to ask about this particular term that I came across because of course, sharing your feelings, um, and being authentic and vulnerable with people, we obviously see this healing, but are there times where there's like unhealthy kind of things going on as it relates to, you know, vulnerability, as far as, for example, a term that I came across was trauma dumping. Okay. So yes, um, trauma dumping was something I understand the concept now, but I had not heard the term. So trauma dumping is basically a complete overshare. I mean, it is just everything just gets dropped right on. And it sometimes it happens to unsuspecting people where you're like, wait, where did this happen? What, what happened? Um, so when we talk about that oversharing there, I'm going to say that there are some good places for trauma dumping. It all depends on context. And that's one of the most important things that I can say, such as when we're feeling triggered, when we're feeling overwhelmed, part of our journey might be journaling or painting. You know, I've worked with people who paint, they take their background of their paint and then they trauma jump and write everything like words on their painting and then they paint over it you know, or they let it be. So it can be with trauma dumping when you walk in and you're triggered with your therapist and you're like, okay, I just need to have this complete catharsis. I need to let it go. I need to, you know, be like Elsa, let it go. <laughs> and, you know, it can be that cathartic thing. Yeah. I think trauma dumping can become very different if we're looking at things like you're trauma dumping, like you're in the grocery store and someone's like, Hey, look at those. Can you hand me those tomatoes? And you're like, so blah, 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 blah. Right. Yeah. Or trauma dumping on social media is another thing that, you know, yes, it's appropriate to share different statuses about what's going on with your life. But sometimes like you see long paragraphs about, you know, traumatic experiences that, you know, alarms professionals. You're like, it's, are they getting help? Are they, you know, linked to the right resources? So it's like, are you asking for help? Are you asking for support? Like there's bait, like with posts, it's like, it's very vague. So it's like, mm -hmm. it puts people in a situation where it's like, are they getting help? Do they need help? Do they have someone? So are they just asking for attention? That's always like something that people assume. Yeah. So like Paula was saying, it's like there are, you know, appropriate, you know, trauma dumping coping mechanisms of using art, using, you know, expressing it, releasing it out of your body, you know, doing some sort of exercise, stuff like that. But sometimes if you're going to the wrong people, 
or, you know, a casual person that doesn't know you is uncomfortable. Like it puts them in a situation where it's like, well, what do we do now? Like, you know, that awkward feeling, awkward feeling of like, is this something that I need to report? Like, you know, we're all mandated reporters here in Florida. So it's just like, well, what do we do from here? Or did someone already do something? Yeah. And I think it goes back to boundaries too, where, you know, we should normalize emotional boundaries too. It's the people in our lives where you're like, Hey, I really want to vent about this thing. Do you have, you know, the emotional capacity at this time and checking in with them and they may, and then we have to be, you know, authentic with ourselves and really check in and be like, you know what, I kind of had a hard day and I'm feeling a little like, um, more like an exposed nerve than normal. So just let, you know, normalizing that too, that we don't, um, just want to be adding to someone's kind of emotional, um, feelings in that mind and that moment, but then there's appropriate places to reach out to. Right. So there's crisis lines, there's, you know, people at the VSC that are ready to talk to you. There's people at PBS that are ready to talk to you, um, and having those spaces to, really process it. And I appreciate you bring up social media because that is where this term I, I kind of came across where maybe someone like made a TikTok, for example, about something totally unrelated. And then someone just kind of talks about uh, their trauma and then kind of dips out of the, the comment section. And yeah. I think that that can one be really triggering for other survivors. So keep that in mind too. Um, if you ever are posting, you know, I, I think that it's appropriate to post once in a while, like, you know, your experiences and sharing that and normalizing that, but also saying like trigger warning, I'm going to be talking about fill in the blank. Yeah. Right. Well, And I will say um, for me, I actually kind of really removed myself from social media and I went opposite where I would have a fear of even posting a comment on something, you know, in, in shared space, because you post something and it's like, you're stuck in that thread mm -hmm. for, and I would see just a lot of arguments back and forth over sharing and all of this. And I would feel like panic, like, Oh my gosh, what did I do? I just said, wow, this is great. Congratulations. You know, so when we're talking about that trauma dumping and that social media aspect, you know, it can be triggering, it can be overwhelming, it can be inundated mm -hmm. uh, with social media. And I think that's also something for the pandemic, we all relied on those social media, yeah. we all relied on that connectivity, we all got to the point where we were sharing our thoughts and feelings, Good but as the world is kind of going to a new normal where we're getting our sea legs back and things are opening up, you know, now we have to take this social skills that we've had on social media or the way we're doing and reintegrate back our social skills and interactions in real life. And yeah. how are we transitioning to that? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And we do use social media to connect with others, you know, sharing our compliment our accomplishments, sharing um, little pet peeves that we have throughout our days. Um, but trauma dumping, I guess, is a different context, you know, because 
you know, we all have that shared social responsibility to, you know, reach out, be like, are you okay? And then like Paula was saying, you get tied in that loophole of like, oh, I didn't ask for your help, or this isn't the type of response I was looking for. So it puts you in a very different situation of like, okay, well then what is expected from me? Yeah, Um, that's such a good point. I think that there can be that pressure too. I think, um, Just want to always remind everyone that at any point, you can always reach out to our 24-hour crisis line, um, which is (laughs) 407-500-HEAL. And that way you can always share that too. If you're like running into this, um, I think that's always like an appropriate, like, hey, you can direct message someone, things like that. Um, Just wanted to check in with you. But again, at the end of the day, um, do what you're most comfortable with. And, um, and also respect your own boundaries too. Um, but yeah, I, I, I was interested in this particular, uh, topic as it relates to it. Of course, we want to normalize, um, you know, sharing emotions and things like that in an appropriate way with the appropriate people so that we, um, are also keeping in mind other people's boundaries. Um, I wanted to ask you specifically, uh, we talked a little bit about safe spaces, um, But I wanted to also kind of move forward and ask how trauma can maybe impact a client's ability to be vulnerable. Can it take clients a long time before they are vulnerable in a therapeutic relationship? Yes. Um, So we all know that we have trauma responses. We have fight, we have flight, we have freeze, we have fawn. So depending on those types of trauma responses, if we are down in our like lizard brain, or if we're down in that survival brain, we are not going to be vulnerable. Like we're like vulnerable. No, no fight, survive, you know, shut down. We are only thinking about surviving in order for us to have authenticity, to like work on sharing our feelings, to have vulnerability or to set up like even boundaries, healthy boundaries. We have to come from a place where we feel safe. We have to be out of that survival brain because these are higher brain functionings. In survival, you know, we're talking Maslow's basic hierarchy of need. We're like food, shelter, safe, safe, safe. And then those trauma responses can also dictate how we see other people in a relationship. We might go, oh my gosh, they're they all they want to do is fight. They're argumentative, they're aggressive. When that's actually their trauma response is fight because they think, oh, well. If I'm aggressive, if I'm the big bad, if I'm yell, you can't hurt me. You can't get close to me. Or we have like the other spectrum of fawn. We have people that maybe act a little more over-sexualized or have that regressive type thing because that's their survival. And they sometimes that thought might be that their connection is that physical intimacy or sex, but it's not actually vulnerability or connectivity. It's can be just that physical moment. Absolutely. And then trauma eventually just teaches us, you know, that it teaches us that we are probably going to evolve from this experience. What happened to us before or what caused this trauma is going to impact how we respond to others. So, you know, Paula mentioned sometimes you're in that flight or fight mode, like how like that doesn't give you an opportunity to be vulnerable because you're still learning to even trust yourself. Like if you don't trust yourself, how are you going to trust others bridge that gap of like, Hey, um, 
I feel like I'm in a safe space where I can share my experience. So when you're not in that safe space, you're still on guard. You're still, you know, protecting yourself from what may harm you. So sometimes it's like, you know, even going to therapy, they're like, oh, they're not talking. They're not, you know, engaging. It's just like, they just experienced something traumatic. Them going to therapy is engaging. Them going to therapy and being there in silence is engaging. So like, Sometimes people think vulnerability is like being able to trauma dump, quote unquote, but not really like also being vulnerable is sharing a space with someone and just being present and being there, you know, like with support groups also like people attend support groups and that doesn't mean you have to share what's going on. Maybe you just want to observe. Maybe you just want to listen. That's still being vulnerable. That's still connecting. Well, and just to piggyback one, I love the point that you said, trust yourself, vulnerability, all of this healing, it comes from a place where we have to have a little bit of trust in who we are. We kind of have to start to know who we are and that's not an easy task. You know, this isn't about trusting the world, trusting ourselves to be safe in the world, trusting ourselves to be safe, being who we are and expressing it. And it takes a lot of work. And um, one of the books that Juanita and I were talking about was Atomic Habits. And she talked about just showing up. That's one of the things that the author talks about is sometimes all you have to do if you want to start working out is show up, walk into the gym, go one, two in the beginning and start doing that day by day. Then we get in the habit of showing up. We get comfortable and we feel safe. And in support groups, That's why people might not share. They're not ready, but they are starting to show up. They're making those habits and they're starting their journey and they should be, you know, I don't want to say rewarded because it sounds like, Hey, you know, you need a prize, but they should be encouraged that it's okay to be silent and it's okay to sit with people in silence. It's okay to sit with people in pain. It's one of the hardest things that I learned early on in my career is I had this misguided thing that, oh, I'm going to help fix people. No, no. A lot of what I've done is sitting people in, sitting with people in pain when they're experiencing some of the worst pain in their life and being there with them, sharing that experience, letting them know that they are not alone, that I will start this journey with them, that we can help them find safe places. And I think that that comes with a lot when we talk about authenticity and vulnerability and it's you know, all interconnected pretty much. And okay. Juanita and I talk about this stuff all the time. And you see for us, this is also very vulnerable for us because right. we're actually talking, you know, usually her office is next to mine. So we're <laughs> talking back and forth, you know, between the offices, we're talking about the podcast, we're sharing stuff. Mm-hmm. But this for us is just even a very big deep dive to people who were talk about these topics all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I appreciate your vulnerability. Both yeah. Yeah. What a great example of, of the courage of vulnerability. Um, I love, uh, just want to echo everything that you were saying as far as this concept of, um, you know, the, uh, the ability to sit with people's pain is super important, I think. Um, and I wanted to talk a little bit about, you know, your roles. We were talking earlier how there's this concept maybe of like 
mental health professionals having a certain, you know, boundary that I absolutely think that there is one, but I wanted to ask if you ever have to be vulnerable in order to connect with your client. So yes, there is some boundaries. I will always say there's boundaries, there's self-disclosure. You know, if, if I'm working with a client, it's not about me and, you know, working crisis units. I remember even in COVID, I would be out of my car and I'm taking deep breaths going, okay, remember the second I walk in, it's not about what happened at home. And we talk about 2020 and the pandemic, but think about 2020 and therapists because we were sitting with other people the whole time while still experiencing this on our own, you know, still going, like I still went home to my family, my husband, my son, my mother, that was far away. Um, You know, my brother and his two kids that were only a few miles away, but yet, you know, that start part, I was a high risk because I still worked on the units that I had to keep the people I loved away from me as well because I didn't know if I was gonna be exposed. So when we look at all of this, there is vulnerability in it. And, but there's also still those professional boundaries. So, you know, there's a part where you're like, you know, when we're talking about the pandemic, you might be like, yes, you know, I understand. And I think it comes with, we still have to be as much of our authentic self as we can be. You know, I walk into a crisis, situation or even here you can ask them I'm kind of goofy I know it I'm quirky um but that's who I am that's who I am here that's who I am on the crisis unit that's who I am you know outside of life you know trying to pull that together there is that authenticity and when we talk about that and vulnerability if you're sitting with someone in pain there is a vulnerability because you're sitting with someone in their pain You're going to have your own responses. And the point is, is on the therapeutic side, we have to remember though, it's not about us afterwards. When we've moved on, that's when I'm like, Hey, Juanita, you want to go get some pie, (laughs) you know, or ice cream or ice cream Um, or Hey, for me, it was like, okay, now I'm going to my art class or I'm going to go paint and I'm going to go get, find my way to let my emotions out. Cause that's the other thing we have to be careful that we don't hold it in. You know, yeah. when you have a tendency to sit with people who are in pain or in trauma, you know, we have to make sure that we are doing things. And this isn't something everyone talks about. How do we how do we cope and let it go? And so there is a lot of vulnerability. There is a lot of, you know, and I will tell you, I struggled in the pandemic. I would go home after a long day and I'm like, I can't take the news. I can't take pandemic news. I can't take social media. And how do we get ourselves out of our own like rumination or, or those spots? So yeah. Yeah. And especially as healers, there's like that vicarious trauma too. So being, um, you know, after the session, um, hearing about your like coping strategies and all of that is is so great. And I'm glad that, and I want to normalize, you know, mental health professionals taking care of themselves too. Um, so definitely wanting to know, was there anything that you wanted to add on, you know, feelings of vulnerability as, you know, a professional? Yeah, just, 
you know, being vulnerable is also being true to who you are. So presenting yourself as, you know, maybe I'm not at my best, but I'm here sharing the space with you. I think that's something that we learned throughout this pandemic is like, we're all struggling or we all struggle to an extent. So, you know, I'm not coming here thinking that I know more or do more or, you know, have mastered all the coping skills, you know, in therapy, like just because we're really good at educating other people on how to cope, doesn't mean that we're practicing that, you know, like sometimes I have to remind myself, you know, do something that you love, um, do something, you know, for yourself, not because it's for your job. Like we're just so used to, you know, like helping others that, some of us forgot that, you know, we have to help ourselves first to help others. And, you know, the pandemic, we're all in like survival mode. We're all in rescue mode. We're all in like, this is a different way for everyone. So um, being vulnerable, like I think this, um, like this decade really taught me how to be more vulnerable in general, like with family, friends, peers, um, and that it's not something to be ashamed of. Totally. Yeah. And I just love, so one of um, the reminder, we have to remind each other like, okay, let's do a quick, you know, one minute meditation or we have ice cream in our fridge in our office. So (laughs) that's why she said ice cream. I was wondering Uh, that. I was like, what is this insider ice cream at PBS? (laughs) Yes. We, we keep our emotional support ice cream in the fridge. Love it. Love it. Um, We do sometimes you'll hear Juanita say, okay, everyone let's stretch, let's get up and, you know, stretch. Let's, you know, it is having your team or having your tribe that Mm -hmm. we remind ourselves to, because as healers, as, you know, working in this field, we have to remind ourselves or piggyback off of each other where I'm like, okay, let's, let's do the art group or, Hey, Juanita, why don't you stay with our art group today and paint? And she's like, you know, hey, Paula, let's do a five minute oh, yoga. Checking in with each other. I love this. Yeah. So, you know, we have our own tribe here where we are, we check in on each other and, you know, or that remembering of self-care because yeah, being vulnerable, you have to care for yourself, but just in general, being in this field, being authentic, you know, we have to remember that it's very easy to be bogged down in, oh my gosh, I have 400 emails. I have two clients. I have an art group. And why doesn't the phone stop ringing? You know, Mm. how do we take those steps away and check in and encourage each other? And that's one of the things that I love about coming over to PBS, you know, having the people where we can check in with each other and make hold each other accountable just to, you know, take that five minute break. If you need it, you know, take that little walk. If you need it, make sure we're eating, make sure you're eating. Yeah. Cause I get angry. Oh, (laughs) the Snickers bar kind of commercials. I come to mind. (laughs) Yeah. At about 11 o'clock. I'm like, okay, are we eating now? Am I microwaving? I got a meeting at one. So people know, that I'm like, I need to eat because I, but I work in crisis. If I didn't eat, you know, how can I take care of someone else if I can't at least eat? Yeah. Just like the basics of self-care. I think a lot of times people kind of forget about, um, you know, like self-care of course has like, you know, um, yoga and ice cream and all that stuff, but also like just 
you know, exercise uh, and also, um, you know, just taking care of ourselves physically is also super important too. Um, just sleep. as like, oh, go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say sleep. sleep. Oh, I sleep. know. Yeah. Setting up sleep hygiene, setting up routine, sleeping. Mm-hmm. And that is the most important thing. We need rest in order for our brain to be like, okay. Totally. Yeah, totally. And I wanted to also kind of as the final few questions here, um, we talked a little bit about resilience. So how would you actually define resilience um, and how does it kind of relate to trauma survivors and, um, and, and things like that? So when we talk about resilience, resiliency is kind of our ability to handle or move through what we're going through. So when we talk about resiliency, there are different things. Like I've had people say, oh, what was that quote? Um, Women are like tea bags. You never know how strong we are until you drop us in hot water. Yeah. Um, But it comes to the point that sometimes we don't know how resilient we are until we're trying to recover from something. And I think that resiliency can be learned. It can be added in when we start talk about this healing journey. So sometimes we have to have those protective factors that, that our tribe, our check-ins, we might need that kind of support in the beginning to help us on a resilient journey. So just like yeah. Juanita said, with coping skills, we might have some inane resilience, but we also have to learn how to move forward. Yeah. And I don't think resilience is um, defined universally. You kind of define what resilience looks for you. So, you know, some people think resilience is bouncing back. Um, I think we've deferred from bouncing back to bouncing forward. Like, do you really want to go back to what you used to be? You kind of want to evolve and move forward into, you know, what you learn from this, you know, Mm -hmm. these experiences that we face, like they taught us something, obviously they taught us maybe to grow, to change our habits, to adapt. Um, It probably taught us that, you know, wow, we are stronger than what we thought you, you know, when something traumatic happens to us, like you don't really prepare for that. There's no way to prepare for trauma there's ways to evolve from that traumatic experience. Um, And there's ways that, you know, that you learn about yourself. You're just, you learn that, you know, what I thought, like you probably thought you were invincible, but then you're like, well, maybe I need to take a step back and focus on my needs before focusing on others. Or maybe I need to focus more on, you know, what can I change and do different to grow from this? But yeah, resilience looks different for everyone. Sometimes, like I said, it's just showing up. You don't have to be vocal about everything. Like being vulnerable is just showing up. One of the stories or, or I guess things that I always talk about um, is kind of like a turtle. So don't kick the turtle, which means sometimes we have that hard shell and sometimes we need to pull ourselves in. Don't kick the turtle on those times that we need to be more protective or insulary. You know, the only way we are going to do 
this and move forward is sometimes we have to just keep going through the mud. So it's okay to pull ourselves into our shell every so often. It's, but we have to remember it's not okay to live in our shell. Um, slowly we have to get back out and take a step or two, come back in as needed. And, you know, don't be, don't kick the turtle. I love Don't that. let other people kick the turtle. Yeah. yeah. That turtle needs so to evolve somehow. Sometimes, <laughs> yeah. you know, a lot of growth happens in your own little shell. So mm-hmm. like, oh. like Paula was saying, it's like, don't kick the turtle. The turtle's working internally. You yeah. know, that's their time to evolve, time to heal, you know? And then when it crawls back out, it's like, okay, I'm ready to learn. I'm ready to see what the world has to offer, but then I'm also going to take what I want from the world. I don't remember who said it, but there was, there is no comfort in a growth zone and no growth in a comfort zone. Ah, the difference between a safe and a brave space that I talk about in my education, which, yeah, um, you know, of course, safe spaces where we can grow as well, but there's also this concept of like a brave space where there is like this kind of discomfort that's going to happen. Of course, we always want to feel not unsafe in those spaces, but just like maybe a little bit of discomfort because that's kind of where that growing can happen. I also appreciate the individuality that you're highlighting as far as coping mechanisms, as far as how resilience can look different in a lot of different ways. And I also appreciate the individuality as far as the different steps that someone can take to becoming vulnerable or, um, you know, showing up to places, everyone kind of shows vulnerability differently and just kind of uplifting and normalizing that is super, super helpful. I think, um, for those listening. And I also appreciate you bringing up that resilience can be taught. I think a lot of times, at least in the sexual prevention, sexual assault prevention world, we talk about resiliency as it relates to, for example, adult survivors of childhood sexual abuse. And it's almost talked about a lot of times as this innate thing inside of us, um, where it almost feels like if you don't have it, then you're doomed and like, you'll never grow or, or be able to heal, which is not true. Um, so I appreciate that you're able to kind of, you know, uplift and normalize and celebrate, you know, a new perspective of what resilience can look like. Cause it looks different for everyone. And at the same time, foster that, you know, what, what are things or coping mechanisms that help for you? Um, and then teaching someone and empowering them and not kicking the turtle in the meantime. <laughs> um, I wanted to also, you know, as a final question here, we talked a little bit about coping. If you wanted to say anything about how you help your clients find coping skills, um, you know, kind of the difference between healthy and unhealthy coping as a kind of final question here. Okay. Um, Well, again, coping skills, what works for me is not going to work for Juanita or it might not. Uh, We both enjoy yoga but that doesn't mean everything else is similar. A lot of times with coping skills, well, you know, we always have to start where the client is. We have to see what works for them. I could tell them every day, are you journaling? Are you journaling? Journaling does not work for everyone. Even if they do that trauma dump on the pages and rip it, some people cannot get pen to paper. And that's why we have to look at things in different contexts. Like I like to write, but journaling was always hard for me to actually sit down and make time to go, this is my feelings. 
that was a very hard, you know, vulnerability. I didn't want to talk about my feelings. I didn't want to write about my feelings, you know, but painting for me, an abstract, because I could take an emotion that I was feeling, or I could take two emotional words. I could have a friend give me a playlist and I could just paint it out. You know, we have to look at the unique person, what things help bring them joy, what help things help them have that release and then add different coping skills on it. And, you know, sometimes it is trial and error. You know, I can say research has shown that this is the best way. And then they could say, well, research doesn't work for me. It, yeah. And we also have to remember, maybe they're not there at the journey yet. Yeah. Maybe that resistance we're getting means they are not ready for journaling. So what coping skills, what, and I would say, what supports can we help wrap them in? What do they need? What can we teach them? Is it just grounding exercises? Is it dip, just breathing exercises? Is it just like body movement, you know, creative visualization? How we need to start them so that they can start building up, you know? Yeah. There's no one size fits all for coping. That's something that, you know, I usually tell the support groups I work with, um, find what works for you. Like, you know, Paula really loves art. I'm not as good in art as she is. Obviously mine is more, you know, gentle movement, yoga, being outside, running, you know, being active with my body. That's how I release a lot of my stress. That's how I release a lot of, you know, things that are, you know, things that make me feel tense or stress inside. Like I just need to move my body. Um, being cooped up, like that's, that's when like, I realized, okay, it's time for me to stress. It's time for me to like, get off um, my seat, do something. Um, journaling does work to an extent for me. Cause I like to write things down. I like to do lists, but like Paula was saying, talking about my feelings and just, you know, verbalizing, you know, this, this happened, like it's baby steps. Like you can't expect everyone to just like be very open about what's going on. Like it takes time, it takes trust and it takes, um, you know, a sense of just having, <clears throat> building that connection. Totally. Takes, yeah. And it takes habit habit. When yeah. I start with journaling, like I can journal, I can write, I can free write. I'm stories that come to my head, random things. I have books of quotes, but it's showing up like, okay, sit down and write three times a week. What about, I don't care. Here's a writing prompt. If you get in the habit of maybe writing, then maybe we can get in the habit of, habit of processing. Yeah. So, you know, that's what we're talking about with kind of those baby steps. Everything is a baby step. You know, I remember the first time someone said, oh, meditation is good for you. And I'm like, okay, great. And I'm supposed to sit here and clear my mind. Well, what happens when you say clear your mind? Is a there, lot of things come up. Yeah. Is the <laughs> open? Did yeah. I send that check off? What was on my email? Do penguins have knees? I, you know, people, we have to remember that meditation is yeah. great, but we don't start off with that point where we can clear our mind. We have to start those baby steps. Like it's okay to have those thoughts. You know, Juanita reminds me of that too. Okay. When we're doing visualization things, mm -hmm. okay. Clear your mind. Let every thought that comes in just float away. Gotcha. Do penguins have knees? I don't know. I'll Google it later. You know, just <laughs> Acknowledging um, and letting it move beyond. Absolutely. And I think that 
um, kind of hearing about these different ways that you kind of work with your clients as far as exploring different topics or coping strategies that work for them. And then also it does come with this vulnerability of trying new things, you know? Um, and then also just going to therapy itself can be a very vulnerable thing. And I think that reframing it to this strength thing, this courage of being yourself and also showing up and saying, I want to feel better. I want to, I want to grow. You know, I think that that's incredible. And, um, anyone who's listening, who, you know, is thinking about reaching out for support, just know that there is support there. Um, and you deserve it. Absolutely. Um, I think that that's a great place to sign up, but before I do, is there anything else that you want to bring up that we may have missed? I know we talked about a lot, but. Well, um, real quick, I wanted to add up. So I have to give the nod to Brene Brown. Uh, we've both been reading the book. Um, and this was before you even brought up this topic. And I remember her poignant word that I texted Juanita and this became kind of our mantra, which was what strong back, soft heart. And um, I think that's the point that we're trying to get. It's OK to be strong and protect our boundaries. It's OK to, you know, be assertive. It's OK to say no, but it, we need to do it with that love and that authenticity and that genuineness of ourself and if we can remember that and we're all in progress so I don't think if you meet me on the street that you're like oh my gosh you know we all have our moments it's okay to have our moments it's okay to have our days when we don't feel right it's okay sometimes to crawl in on our shell or you know just sit in front of Netflix and go yeah I'm just gonna have a Netflix afternoon one more episode. Sure. Um, it's okay. And be kind to yourself because we're all on a journey of our own. We're all recovering and yeah. And soft heart doesn't necessarily mean like carrying around your feelings and crying and all, you know, like (laughs) soft heart, soft heart is just, you know, acknowledging that, you know, maybe you had a tough day being gentle with others. They have tough days. We all have tough days. Um, and carrying yourself in a way that, you know, you're sharing your authentic self. You're not just, you know, you're not just sharing it because you feel it's your duty. You're sharing it because you genuinely care. I love that. I think that that's a wonderful place to sign off. So thank you for the listener to, uh, for listening to the Victim Service Center podcast. The VSE is a nonprofit organization that provides free confidential counseling services for victims of any kind of trauma in Central Florida. To learn more about our services, please visit victimservicecenter.org. And to everyone listening, healing is not linear and you are not alone. And thank you so, so much, Juanita and Paula, for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for having us.